two Washington politicians had locked themselves out of their car. And unfortunately, some important papers they needed for a meeting were inside. Let's use the coat hanger to pull up the lock, suggested the first. Oh no, argued the second. Someone might see us and think we're trying to break in. Then we could use my pocket knife to cut away the rubber around the windows and stick our fingers through the, and pull up the lock. No, 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 people would think we're too stupid to know how to use this coat hanger to open cars. Well, we'd better do something fast. The top's down and it's starting to rain. <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is, I wish that wasn't true. <laughs> really do, I hope, I don't know. I think Dumb and Dumber left town a long time ago. But anyway, uh, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Go with me, please, if you would, uh, to uh, Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 25. And it's the parable of the talents is what I want to speak to you about. But I want to do it a little bit different today, um, um, you know, if I can. And we'll start reading, if we will, we'll start reading at verse 14, 25, Matthew 25, verse 14. Listen, at the, listen to the word of God. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man dwelling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And one of them he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who had received the two talents, and notice that they both received the same thing because it's not about what we do, it's about how faithful we are. But he who also had received the two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in into the joy of the Lord. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. 
Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The title of the sermon is, is the parable of the talents. But I want to give it another I want to give it another title. The other title of this is this. You cannot hide. You cannot hide. Let's pray. Father, I ask you please that you would be with us today. And I pray, Father, it's only through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that, Lord, that things really happen in our life. The only way I can do this sermon today, Father, is the fact that if it's, it could be a talk, it could be a whatever, Lord, but that's not it. That's not what we want. We want a manifestation of your spirit, your, your power to be in this room. And so, Lord, I say simply, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, for you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything. We just don't, we can't and nor do we want to ever launch out without you being in our boat with us. So be with us, Father, today, and may you speak to us like never before. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. This past week I was listening to something. I was listening to Kirk Cameron. Now, I've always liked Kirk Cameron, and I've always liked him because of his stand. Uh, his stand. I don't know exactly what denomination he's with or what. I think he may, he may be a Seventh-day Adventist. I don't know. But he's written some books, he's written some books, and in those books, they're children's books. And in those books, one of the things he said, he's talking to kids and he's teaching them about the, the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's also talking to them about what the, the uh, fruits of the Spirit are. Now he took these, and he, he, these books that he's written and he wanted to get them in the hands, he wanted to go around the, the United States and, and as a result of that... Um, go to libraries and, and do a reading with them. He was turned down by I don't know how many libraries across this country because they said his book was inappropriate. If you want to believe that. So he just told him, said, that's fine. Says, we'll just go to court and I'll sue you. And so as a result of that, guess what? They, they decided all of a sudden that they were going to have him there to read his books. So when he came, he came to one particular place in California and 2,500 people showed up, parents with their kids, which was a great thing. But he said something that really sort of disturbed me a little bit. And while I don't believe it's true on the whole, in some ways it is true. He was in his message that he was preaching. He talked about those of us who believe in the second coming, believe in the rapture of the church, that that's all we're doing. We're just sitting down and we're waiting for Jesus to come and get us, and when he comes and gets us, then that'll be it. You know, and we're not doing anything. I totally disagree with him on this. And in fact, I, I, when I was a young preacher, just, just barely 20, 20, 21 years old, one of the first messages I ever preached was on the rapture of the church. And the, the, one of the determining things about the rapture of the church is that we're running out of time, guys. 
That ought to spur each one of us, ought to spur every one of us to do one thing, and that is to go to those people that we love, we care about, and say, look, man, the night is far spent and the day's at hand, and if you don't get right with the Lord now, one of the things that's going to happen, it's going to be one of these days, it's going to be too late. So, no, I believe the rapture, if anything, it ought to motivate us to the fact that what we ought to do is really tell other people that Jesus is coming and it ought to win people to the Lord. Now, Peter said this over in chapter, chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer or defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with, with, uh, with me uh, known uh, without fear. And so what's he saying to us? And, and let me just ask this question, and I really mean this. How long has it been since somebody came up and asked you, what is the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? Could it possibly be that the very reason that we don't have that happening to us is that people don't see any difference in our life than the rest of this world? We're doing the very same thing the rest of the world's doing. And if that's the case, we're not living like Jesus is coming. If we thought he was really coming, then as a result of that, we ought to be doing everything we possibly could. And I want you to notice something when I read something like Matthew 22 or, or Luke 14 when it talks about the, the wedding feast and the, and the guy sends out people to bring him in for his son's wedding and, only, and people aren't making all kinds of excuses so he sends his servant out to get more and they get more and get more and more and he said, yet there's still room. And then he says this, after he says there's still room, uh, he, he basically tells them to go out and bring, go to the, hill, the, the, the highways and the byways and bring them in. And when he does this, guess what? Who is it that brings them in? It's the servants that bring them in. And so I'm telling you, when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, if we're not bringing them in, there's a problem within us. Do we really believe what we believe? And as a result of believing what we really believe, then as a result of that, we can't hide anymore. We can't hide. Jesus said in John 15, 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they've kept my word, they will keep yours also. Listen, there's no place to hide, guys. I went in Kroger's the other day, and there they had a big sign. And I'm just, I'm trying to get my bologna and loaf of bread and get out of there. And I look, and there in Kroger's, there's this big sign. We were celebrating LBGT, whatever. I can't keep ABC, whatever it is, what goes with it. But they're celebrating that. People say, well, what we need to do, we need to uh, boycott. You're going to boycott the world? We've got to stand is what we've got to do. Peter said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fire trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Jesus has told us he's coming. But he's also told us simply that there's going to be things that are going to be happening. It's not going to be easy for us in these last days. What do you do when the culture does not agree with your belief system? 
and even celebrates, and this is the thing, even celebrates, and, and, and this is exactly what's happening in this world today. You say, well, I don't understand what they want. Well, I'll tell you exactly what they want. All you got to do is go to Romans 1, and if you go to Romans 1 and you read the last verse in the book of Romans, it says simply this. Here's what it says. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that, uh, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, but then he goes on to say, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice it. They want your approval. Why do they want your approval? I think because it sort of lessens the judgment of God, they think, or deadens the, 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 uh, the, the guilty feelings they may have. When you look around this country, you see one injustice after another, and the media will totally ignore it. When you see morality being thrown out the window and victims are the very innocent of our culture, the babies that are being aborted, the children that are being coerced into drastic sex changes, and they'll regret for the rest of their life. Before we say woe to is us, we need to ask the question that we don't want to ask, and that is how do we get here? If we figure that out, then we don't want to go down that road again. I'll tell you that right now. I would give anything living back in the 1950s. How do we get to the place that society around us is so blind, so ill effects to the decisions that are being made? How did this happen? Because those of us who knew better became silent and we said none of our business, stay out of it. When a woman objected to prayer in our schools, when they took down the Ten Commandments, even now when they take our precious children and allow drag queens to come in with so-called story hour, and all those things have been met with silence. It was Martin Niemöller, the German pastor, who stood up to Adolf Hitler in the 1930s and spent many years in a German concentration camp with the Jews. And here's what he said. He said, first they came for the communists. And I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said silence is the face of evil. It's self-evil. And God will not hold us guiltless not to speak is to speak. And not to act is act. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation who, who the believeth for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now some have said that we're not to bring politics into the church. We're not to bring it into the church. I know there's probably people that will criticize me, say, you speak on this stuff too much, and as a result of that, you, you know, you're, uh, you, know, uh, you know, and some have even told me that their pastor never, never mentions it. Well, good for him, I guess. So let me ask this question. Is the killing of babies, is that politics? In the, in the discretion of, and the desecration of marriage, is that political? Is the pollution of children's mind, is that political? 
Yes, I know what Romans 13 teaches. It teaches that the government is there. But I also saw that when the authorities told Peter and John to speak no more in the name of Jesus Christ, here's what they said in in Acts 4.18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak or, or to teach in the names of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. James says to us, you see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Or in other words, salvation comes by grace and our faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. But our works are authenticated or proves our belief in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, by their fruits you'll know them. We have a choice. We have no choice but to speak out. So we have no choice, but when the Lord puts opportunities in our daily path, we must speak up. In Revelation 21, the Lord lists those who shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And you know what verse 8 says of those people that are listed there, of those sins that are listed there? You know what the first sin that's listed there is? Cowardly. We have no choice but to speak up. You say, well, Lee, you know what, uh, we, uh, you know, uh, do, we, do we get a group together? No, I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. I'm saying we as a congregation, each day we go out, let me ask you, this, who is God putting in your path? Who is the people that he is putting with you in your job that don't know the Lord? Who, who, what are the, when people bring up things and start talking about things, do you stay quiet? Do you stay silent? Because you don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want to lose their business. I've heard people say that. I've heard people say, well, I really am my business. I don't want to, you know, I, I go to church because it's good for business. Is that it? Because I, I'm afraid that, you know, Jesus has told us in this world we're going to have trouble. And I just think that we, we have no choice but to speak up. To follow Jesus Christ means we have no choice but to take up our cross and to follow him daily. No matter where that might lead. You've heard me say a thousand times in this pulpit, I believe that we are living in the last days. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin to reveal and the son of perdition. I told my wife about a week ago, I told her, I said, Well, one of the things about attendance in church, you know what's going to happen? It's going to go down. I don't want it to. Man, let me tell you something. You know, I, I can look on these seats. I can, you know, I, you, we laugh and I joke with you about where I know where people sit, and I do. But let me tell you something. When you're not here, it bugs the far out of me. Now, I know you got to go on vacation and all that, but I hate vacation time. I can't help it. Only time I don't hate vacation time is when I go. <laughs> Y'all be here, but I'm going to go on vacation. But I do. Because I'm telling you what's fixing to take place. Everywhere you're going to go, you're going to have to make a decision. Because everything you go, I mean, everywhere you go, whether it's your work or job or whatever, you, and, and many of you are going to have to make, make a job. One of the people I'll tell you we need to pray for is Angela that comes up here and she does the signing. You know who I'm talking about? Angela uh, Turner. She just became the librarian here. You going to tell me her job's not going to have some, job, uh, have some some decisions to make? 
I, I'm telling you, everywhere we go, you go to the grocery store, you go wherever it is, what you're going to do, you're going to go to, uh, to, uh, to uh, one of these department stores or whatever. But let me tell you something. I believe with all my heart and soul it's working. I believe there are more people today that are starting to speak up and to say, we don't want this stuff anymore. Amen? I believe that with all my heart. And I'll tell you one of the reasons I believe that is because, you know, last year, what did we do? We had, and I give Brenda the credit here, because last year one of the things that happened was you go down through Main Street, every, every place down through there had a, had a rainbow flag stuck up at it, right? Amen? You see how many, I, every time I go down, I count them. You know what I've counted the most? I've counted the most of being five. You know why? Because one of the reasons I believe that we started, we decided that last year we were going to have our own flag. And we put them up. And how many did we put up? We put up 250 of them. Amen. All over town. And what did they do? They called the highway department on us and said the ugliness. <laughs> you know, uh, as a result of that. But look today, and I, I'll run down, and I'm, I'm counting them as I go down Main Street, and as I do, and I come up to the, I come up to the, the, the stoplight on Lexington Avenue in Maine, and, I, and, I, and I've counted only five. And I said, Lord, I praise you, and I thank you for there's only five. And I looked across the street at the Brown Proctor Hotel, and there was one of our flags flying. Amen? Now, are we, you, you say, are we against them? No! We're not against them. We care about them. We love them. This has to be done in love. It, it cannot be done any other way. God doesn't want, God's hand will not be in it if we don't love these people. But we got to stand up. You know, I'm not trying to be gloom and doom. But I believe that it's going to be get uncomfortable for Christians. People say, well, we can boycott. We can't boycott the world. So why are we looking? Why in the world are you looking then at what you just said? We're looking at Matthew 25. Because Jesus' parable of the talents is a powerful illustration of what God thinks of our safe and religious reasons for not doing the right thing. The guy who only got one talent, what did he do? He took his and he hid it. Just like a lot of people that say they belong to Jesus, they've taken their talents, they've taken their abilities, they've taken the want to stand for Christ, and they've hid it. God's concerned about that. He's concerned about that. God thinks of our safe religious reasons for not doing the right thing. People say, just preach the gospel. You know, uh, you know, the guy who had only one talent, he decided he's going to play it safe. Just, just preach the gospel, Lee. You know what? I'd love to just preach the gospel. But this is the gospel. This is the good news. Because Jesus' parable of the talents is a powerful illustration of what God thinks of our safe and religious reasons for not doing the right thing. People say, just preach the gospel. A great example of this, where in Germany in the 1930s, there was 18,000 preachers in Germany in 1930. And Bonhoeffer warned them of what was going to take place, and only 3,000 answered that call. Many thought we must, might go along with the Nazis if to that place that some churches put up the Nazi flag in their churches. They did. 
they put the Nazi flag inside their churches. Now I've told you before about the story of the church that was by the railroad tracks that when they heard the trains coming and the people inside screaming and crying that the Jews they packed in there like sardines people died standing up and when they brought the trains down through there and that when they, well, the solution for this or this church was to start singing the moment they heard the train coming and they sang louder and louder and louder to drain out the cries of those people You know, many thought if we just go along with the Nazis, if, if to the place where some churches put up the Nazis' flag, if we just go along with everything, will be fine. Just it, well, let's just stay in our own yard. Let's just everything will be fine. My problem is that the Lord won't let me stay there. The question that Jesus asked in the parable is, who do we say that God is? Everything you own, everything I own, God's given it to us. You don't own anything that God, and he can just like that take it away if he wants to. Everything we own, it it belongs to God. And he says, why I've given you these talents, I've given you these things, what will you do with it? And here's the question. The question we demonstrate what we really think of God, how we do this. Is Is he someone we love and trust and know to be God of grace towards us? Or is he rather a hard master who can be counted on to punish us if we make a mistake or fail some way? Fail some way. Jesus makes it plain that those servants who risked the talents, they were given their reward for doing what they did. The man with the only one talent was operating in fear. And see, that's one of the things that the grace of God is supposed to take away in your life. Because the Bible says that perfect fear, perfect love takes away fear. And the servant who played it saved by burning his talent was condemned. May I ask you this question? Are you burying your talents? What we also see is that there's no safe path. Jesus abundantly praises the servants who risk the talents. Jesus is saying to play it safe is not to play it safe at all. The child of God, we need to realize there's no safe option. If you pretend there is, you are deceived. Either you believe God to be a grace-shitting God or you condemn him as a hard taskmaster. All the blessings that God has given you, how you can... Use those blessings will determine how you see the Lord, your relationship to him. For the servant uh, who buried his one talent had no relationship with him. That's the problem. This last guy was really not saved. He demonstrated he was not. We must own up to our choice. We cannot have it both ways. The Lord Jesus is telling us that God is loving and a God whom we can trust even if we make a mistake. But the question is whether we know and trust him to be living and trust him so much that we're not frightened into doing something that risks money or reputation or even life that we have given to us. Are you so afraid that if you really speak up and say what the Lord really wants you to say, that some of your so-called friends will leave you or want anything to do with you? If they do that, they weren't friends at all. 
If we love him back, we will take what he has given us and he'll make it grow. The two who God praised, they were treating their master's money as though it was their own. This is the golden rule that we are to do to others as we would have them do to us. The servant who only had one talent, Jesus doesn't say, you could have done better. No, he condemns him. Jesus seemed to be saying the servant was not under grace because he was treating his master as someone who is not full of grace but hard and a taskmaster. And, and you know, I realize something that when I think that you've got you to see this in, in Luke 14, when, in Luke 14, when he answers the man, he answers him back. And, and when, he say, when he says this, uh, if I can find it here. Um, well, yeah, was it, yeah, okay. Uh, well, okay. But he says it back when, he, when, the, man, when, when the, 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 the man says to them simply, he says, you, you're saying, that's what he's really saying, he's saying, you're saying that I'm that way? Jesus used to be saying to that servant was not under grace. What was the first thing that the prodigal son remembered when the Bible says he came to himself? He remembered that his father was good. That the servants in his father's house had it better than anybody else. That's what he remembered. And as a result, he put himself out of reach of the master's grace. This is the guy who buried his talent. They that come to God must believe that he is God and the rewarder of him that seeks him. Jesus is saying, if you treat my father as though he is a hard master, he will actually be a hard master. You have that power. If you, if you want to treat him like he, he doesn't love you, doesn't care about it, he's not a, a God full of grace, then he'll be that way with you. You choose the God whom you choose. Remember the words of Joshua when he said to this day, choose you whom you will serve. The true God or the counterfeit God. For some of us, there's no middle ground. Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 23, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. In God's kingdom, there's no fence riders. So what are we to do? Are we to go join some kind of group and get together and go out and protest or whatever? I believe God wants us to stand in whatever, whatever the Lord allows to be put in our path. Stand on our job, stand in our home. Now, is there a cost to this? Oh, I guarantee there's going to be a cost. But we have to understand we cannot stand in our own strength. You cannot stand in your own strength. This is our problem. We've tried, we've tried to do things on our own. We've tried to do things political. Listen, the answer to the problems we face as a nation is not political. If you think it is, it's badly mistaken. Oh, if we could just get the right person in the White House. If we get the right senators. It's not. It's because we haven't come to Jesus the way we have. Jesus Christ is the answer to this country. Not a political party. We have to understand we cannot stand on our own strength. Zechariah 4, 6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
Ephesians 6.13 tells us, having done all to stand. So what do we need to learn to do? Here's what we need to learn to do. I believe it's all found mostly over in the book, found over in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, you can divide the Ephesians up into three parts. In Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, chapters 4 and 5, and chapter 6. It tells us what to do. And here it is. Here's what we must do. Ephesians tells us in three things that we must do. Here's what it tells us we must do. We must sit, we must walk, and we must stand. We must sit, we must walk, and we must stand. The problem for most Christians is they wanted to get up and walk before they sit. Or they wanted to stand before they had walked. Or they wanted, they have not sat with the Lord. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. I must sit with the Lord. What you got to do is take, take chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and take out a piece of paper in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Underline or write down every phrase that is a promise to you from God. Listen, here's what God does in chapters 1, chapters 2, and chapter 3. He gives you 42 promises. 42 promises that belong to you. And if you don't know these promises, you're not going to be able to walk with Him. you got to know this stuff. And so he says to you, come and just sit. This is why the Apostle Paul, after he was converted on the road to Damascus, did God, what did God, did he send him right straight to Jerusalem to be, no, he didn't do that. Where did he send him to? He sent him to Arabia for three years. To why? To sit and to hear what God was trying to get into his life. That's what he tried to do. And so he tells us to sit. Listen to what he tells us over there in Ephesians, starting with, starting with verse uh, chapter, uh, chapter uh, 1, but listen to some of these. And I, I won't give you the exact verse because it would take too long, and I, and I, I know my time is probably getting close. Uh, so anyway, listen to what it says in chapters 1, 42 promises. He, he tells us, number, number 1, starting with, with um, verse 3, blessed be, listen to this, blessed be the God with, who has blessed you with all spiritual blessings. Here's the second thing. In heavenly places in Christ. He's blessed you that. Just as he chose us. He chose you. He chose us in him. Before the foundation of the earth. When did he choose you? Before the foundation of the world. Result, that we should be holy without blame before him and love. Is what he's saying. This is a promise to you. He predestined you to be adoption by sons of Jesus Christ him. And according to the good pleasure of his will. He wanted to do this. To the praise and the glory of the grace. And by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I've been accepted in the beloved. I was always scared to death. When I get in heaven and get in line, I'm going to be standing between Peter and Paul. But according to this, it says, I've been accepted in the beloved. Amen? Uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he has made to abound towards us in the wisdom and the prudence of the wise of the future, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Just in his verses. God, in chapter 3, Paul's prayer. 
Listen to what his prayer is over here. And this is tremendous. He says, for this reason, starting with verse 14, for this reason, I bow, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened by might through his spirit of the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God and listen to this this is tremendous after you get to really know how much God loves you then he says this he says now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask according to the power that works where that works in you it works in you and then he says, and to him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever and amen. Now, so, and, and that's just part of them. That's not even a third of them. And you learn this stuff and you get it, but Lord, you know, and then when you get ready to pray, you begin to pray, Lord, thank you that I've been accepted in the beloved. Thank you that you call me before the foundation of the earth. Thank you that you love me like you do. And then you get over here after that, if you, if you sit with him a while, then you can walk with him. Because he says in four one, therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. Who's the calling? All forty two of those of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long suffering and bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the monopoly. Now you can walk with him. So four and five deals with walking. But when you get ready to stand, listen to what he says over in chapter six. He says he says this in chapter 6 simply that you would put on the whole armor of God where he talks about that. But then he goes this, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand. Now I know I, and I hear a lot of sermons on the, the armor of God and putting on a helmet of, helmet of salvation and the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod with the gospel of Christ, taking the sword of the Spirit and all this. But you know what all that armor is? It is nothing more than Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't take it off. Because Jesus is with me continually. I don't have to leave it over in the corner and here comes the devil. No, Jesus is always, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So you sit and you walk. And then you learn how to stand. Now stand, putting on the whole armor of God. Which is putting on Jesus. And he will give you the courage to stand. He'll give you the power to be able to stand no matter what it is. You ever been in places, Lee, where that your Adam's apple got a lot smaller and it went all the way up to here because you knew what you were going to say that people weren't going to like? Yep, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. You know? If you had to ever had to go up to somebody and tell them simply that the way they were living was not right, Yep, sure have. You had to go and confront somebody that was doing things they shouldn't be doing? Yep, sure have. It's not, it's not fun. But buddy, if I didn't do that, God wouldn't use me. So I had to do it. And let me tell you, there's a lot of times I'd like to be a lot of other places than there. Joseph Tyson, 
the evangelical dissident in the communist Romania, was often summoned before government officers who used to every tactic to break the faith in Christ. Once being interrogated by a Pelosi, uh, I guess it's, it's a policeman, an officer threatened to kill him. Sir replied, Tolson, let me explain how I see this issue. <laughs> Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over the country? If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I better listen to this again, to what this man preached, because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. They let him go home. <laughs> oh, do I be to be brave? And I know, I know some of you are thinking, I, and I'm not, I'm not that way. I'm not brave. I'm not courageous. My wife will tell you that. I'll tell you what we did one time. We're going through an airport, and we're going through an airport, and we, uh, uh, you know, you, you can't take a knife through it. When you go through that, what is that called? Uh, whatever it is. Yeah, well, you know what I'm talking about. We got, and so I reached in my pocket and I realized I had a knife. I didn't want to lose that knife because they'll take it away from you. And so I didn't know what to do. And we're already in line, couldn't get out. So I took that knife and I put it in my wife's purse. <laughs> I said, they'll never see it. And that woman, I never will forget, she's going through my wife's purse taking a pen, and I'm thinking, oh, God, where are you? And all of a sudden, she comes up with this knife like this. She says, why this? And Cricket, immediately, you know, she squealed right immediately. He had no guts. She said, that's not mine. And they both did this and looked at me. <laughs> all I want to do is try to keep my knife. They let me, they let me take it back to the car. We were in another place one time where we stood in line at a prison because we'd gone to see a lady that had been in our church. And it's a big prison because this is where Martha Stewart was. And she built them a wing here after she'd been in prison there for a while. And so we're, we, and, and this lady was in front of us and she turned around to my wife. My wife likes to wear those flip-flops. She says, you won't be able to get in there with those flip-flops. Your feet have to be covered. So we had to get out of line and go down to this little dollar store down there in this little bitty town. She had to buy her some prison shoes to put on, you know, to, to go in there. And so we get in there, and so we come up there, and that way, you know, so that's fine. The shoes are fine. And she told us we had to empty her pockets. Well, I got, I always keep a bandana with me, put it in there. And so they look at me, and they say, you can't take that in there. Says we got gangs in there, and they will go either red or blue or whatever it is. And says, and so I said, well, wait a minute, I'll take it back to the car. And Cricket says, no, you're not. We're not going back to the car. You're gonna throw that in the trash right there. So I had to take my bandana and throw it in the trash. So 
So, so don't think I'm standing up here telling you how brave I am because I'm not. But God keeps putting you in those situations and what he asks you to do is just stand for him. And if you and I don't stand, who's going to stand? I don't know, guys. I, I, it, it worries me what's happening in this world. I mean, this world is upset everywhere. And I believe Jesus is getting ready to come. Man, that would be great. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if he just came right now? Praise the Lord. Man, that would be so wonderful. Just so wonderful. And the Bible even says that, you know, that those who love his appearing, and man, I, I want him to come so bad I can't really see straight. But in the meantime, I've got to get busy. There are people out there that don't know my Lord. And there's people out here. We ought to be a church that does this all the time. And just like in the month of August, one of the things we're going to do, we're going to try to bring in as many people as we can in this church. I mean it. We're really going to, I'm going to count on you to go out and try to bring in. Many just fill this whole place up with every pew. We're going to have a verse of invitation. I know a lot of churches don't even give 